this episode, we'll continue our discussion on updates for coding guidelines. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality of Vizian and Practicing Internist. Joining me again are Sheila Bolds and Jim Tamburini, who helped me make sense of the latest CMS updates. Sheila, Jim, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. So, in the last episode, we spoke about the more significant changes that occurred to MSR DRGs this year, but there were also increases, weren't they? There were. So 345 of those DRGs had an increase to their relative weight. So what that means is that translates into an increase in the reimbursement for hospitals, because we know that hospitals are reimbursed based on that relative weight times the blended rate, which is assigned by the CMS. So some of those most significant increases were in DRG 297, which is extensive burns or full thickness burns without event with a skin graft. That increased by about 7.38, which is really pretty substantial. DRG-17, autologous bone marrow transplant, without CC or MCC, that was increased by about 1.8. And then DRG-3, which is ECMO or trach, that increased by about 1.08 as well. On the other side of that coin, there were 403 DRGs, which had a decrease in their relative weight. So some of those in the significance were DRG2, which is heart transplant or implant of heart assist system. That went down by about 1.229. DRG1, which is the other in the pair of that DRG, which is that heart transplant or implant of heart assist system with an MCC, that went down by about 1.05. And then DRG5, liver transplant with MCC or intestinal transplant, that decreased by about 1.06. So if an organization has a high volume of those DRGs, that were decreased in relative weight, that could result in a financial impact. Additionally, Tom, there were some changes to the length of stay on those too. So about 452 DRGs had an increase to their length of stay. And that length of stay is how many days the organization has to manage the care of that patient. DRG 17, which is that autologous bone marrow transplant, that was increased by about 7.3 days. That's pretty significant. DRG 876 was increased by about 3.5 days which is also pretty substantial, and DRG-876 also had an increase of about 5.6 days. There were about 162 DRGs that had a decrease. CAR-T therapy decreased by 2.3 days. So that's something to watch out for for organizations in managing those patients. DRG-21, which is intracranial vascular procedures, decreased by about 1.8 days, as did DRG-818, which is other antepartum diagnoses, also decreased by about 1.8 days. So what were the changes made to the coding guidelines during fiscal year 2024? So there were some changes to the guidelines made for ICD-10 diagnoses in 2024. They include some wording changes that were made to the guideline for sepsis due to a post-procedural infection, just to provide some clarity surrounding how to sequence those codes for sepsis due to a post-operative wound or surgical site infection. The guideline for coding COVID screening was updated. That was updated to indicate that we are to code Z1152, that encounter for screening for COVID-19. The previous code line indicated that during the pandemic, it wasn't appropriate to report that code. Rather, we would report a code for exposure to COVID. Yeah, and Jim, another note regarding the COVID payments in the PHE. During the PHE, CMS enacted the new COVID-19 treatments add-on payment, which was NCTAP. And those were for eligible discharges during the PAG. Now, this add-on payment is now being discontinued for fiscal year 2024, which includes any discharges on or after October 1st, 2023. That's interesting. I did not know that. So does that sort of represent maybe a financial impact to hospitals? Correct. 
because that add-on payment will no longer be available to them for COVID. That's interesting. There was a new guideline that was added for resistant hypertension to capture that new code for resistant hypertension, which is IA0. That refers to blood pressure that remains above goal in spite of the use of antihypertensive medications. A new guideline was added for the coding of myocardial infarction with coronary microvascular dysfunction, which is what we talked about in our last episode. That microvascular dysfunction is defined in the guidelines as essentially a condition that restricts microvascular flow and increases microvascular resistance. An update was made to the coma guidelines to indicate that code R4020, unspecified coma, should be assigned when the underlying cause of the coma is not known or the cause is a traumatic brain injury and the coma scale is not documented. That guideline further indicates that the coma scale Codes can't be used with codes describing non-traumatic coma due to an underlying condition. And lastly, an update was made to the guidelines describing the coding of additional diagnoses to indicate that, I'm doing finger quotes, other diagnoses as described in the guidelines, that's interpreted as additional clinically significant conditions that affect patient care. That's one of those really pretty important guidelines that we have to follow when we determine whether we're going to code a secondary diagnosis or not. I'm also hearing there have been some DRG impacts from coding of some social determinants of health codes. What's going on with those? Great question. And yes, the Z codes for homelessness unspecified, sheltered homelessness, and sheltered unsheltered have all been added to the CC list for 2024. Hmm. So it's key to get those documented now. And we keep hearing social determinants of health and in everything all over. So wanting to make sure that we do capture that to show the impacts of that type of homelessness. And adding this as a CC is also in line with the administration's goal of advancing health equity for all, including those members of historically underserved and under-resourced communities, as described in the President's January 20th, 2021 Executive Order 13985 on advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government. So this really is getting us in line with that in order to show where the impacts are and the costs are for these folks who are homeless. So going back to the clinical truth, I'm actually, as a practicing physician, excited by this because it tends to be a huge issue and especially for length of stay. So by adding this CC, it would actually have an impact on my GMLS, wouldn't it? Correct. It'll impact both that length of stay expectation from the DRG and the payment, potentially as a CC. So I also heard that there was some documentation guidelines around social determinants of health codes. Can you help me review those? Sure. Any of the social determinants of health codes that are classified in that chapter 2021 of the ICD-10 manual can follow the documentation exception guidelines. So there's an exception guideline of other types of providers can document these in which the documentation may be accepted by not only the physician, which that's how it is in all of the other type of diagnoses, but these not only need to be the physician or other qualified healthcare practitioner, but also clinicians such as nurses and social workers involved in the care of the patient. Therefore, it's going to be really important for the CDI and coding teams to work with their clinician team to determine where this may be documented, because sometimes it hides in different places within the record as it might not be documented by that physician. And so where is it documented by these other clinical teams for that accurate code capture as well? One, getting it documented, and then two, 
Also making sure it's recognized within the documentation by both the CDI and the coding teams. Sheila, can I add something to that, please? Please do. Not only is this impactful in the Medicare world where we're talking about CCs and MCCs and things like that, there is also a big push in the Medicaid world, too, around capturing those social determinants of health. There are state Medicaid programs that are now dedicating additional resources to making sure that we are capturing the specific conditions surrounding these underserved populations and making sure that we're representing that is pretty critical when it comes to the documentation and our role in CDI encoding. That makes sense to me. Are there any other changes you want to mention? Yes, Tom. There have been some changes made to the classification for the ICD-10 procedure code for the insertion of a short-term external heart assist system into the open heart. They've actually moved that from grouping to MSDRG-215. That's now being moved to the pre-MDCs, MSDRG-001 and MSDRG-002 when reported as a standalone procedure. So that's a pretty significant change. Additionally, there were some new ICD-10 procedure codes added for the insertion of a short-term external heart assist device system using a conduit that is attached to the axillary artery or the ascending thoracic aorta. And those new codes are in the new technology group, which is for procedures that haven't yet been officially assigned a classification in the coding system. Guys, that was a lot of information. (laughs) Any final thoughts? Specificity. That's it. Just for the physicians out there. Specificity. (laughs) Specificity. Specificity. You got it. And document what you're treating for that patient. Specify what it is, but also make sure you're documenting what you're treating. Not just here are the labs, here are the medications. What is that diagnosis that you're treating for that patient? I couldn't agree more, Sheila. Utilize that meet criteria, right? Monitored, evaluated, assessed, and treated. Think in ink, as we used to say it. I think that's where a lot of providers sort of fall down is that there's a lot of mental process that's involved in how they document and how they're treating their patients. But unfortunately, it just doesn't get captured in the record. Great job, guys. Sheila, Jim, thanks so much for joining us. And to our listeners, you can contact Sheila or Jim at their email addresses in the resource section of the podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast at visionink.com. We also posted a link in our research section. And please join us for other modern practice podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. And now, I'm Dr. Tomas Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening. 